Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of JM Rewind. JM Rewind gives us a chance to check out some of the recent interviews that we've featured on JM and the AM. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us. The book is Reb Getzel. It's an art scroll release. Go to artscroll.com, order the book Reb Getzel, get your discount and free shipping with promo code radio. My conversation with Rabbi Nachman Seltzer next on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. JM in the AM. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world. The web and AlchemSingle.com and the AlchemSingle Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us live via telephone. The brand-new book is called Reb Getzel. When you order the book, as we always say, go to Artscroll.com and use promo code radio. When you go to Artscroll.com, the rule is always use promo code radio. You get your discount, plus you get your free shipping. And in this case, you get an amazing book. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer's out with a brand new book entitled Reb Getzel, The Dramatic Life of Reb Getzel Berger, Builder of an Empire of Chesed. It's on the Shire Press label um, uh, from Artscroll. And again, uh, you'll find it at artscroll.com. When you go there, always use promo code radio. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer, a pleasure to welcome you back to JM in the AM. Thank you, Nachman. You know, I feel like I was just here. <laughs> well, in a way, you were, <laughs> but nonetheless, it's great that you know this is this is the problem with you. You're churning out books so often, you are always just here. <laughs> <laughs> I last we spoke, I was standing in Rob Grossman's living room. Right, my gosh! And I gave you a little cameo of what was coming up, and you, I put Rob Grossman on the phone with you. That was an amazing morning, and uh, do you know how many people still talk to me about that book? What kind of life changer it was for them? Well, it's still selling like a brand-new book. Yeah. It came out before Pesach, and it's still selling like a brand-new book, and it's selling like 5,000 copies. It's like unbelievable what's going on with that book. It is an amazing book, and those of you who haven't seen it yet or haven't bought it yet, make sure to do so. It's an incredible Muster Safer if you want you and your kids to learn what it's like to be uh, an exceptional and incredible human being and an exceptional and incredible Jew. And Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is the one who brought that to life. Uh, Rabbi Seltzer's brand new book is Reb Getzel, The Dramatic Life of Reb Getzel Berger, Builder of an Empire of Chesed. And frankly, Rabbi Seltzer, I said to myself when I was told by the people at Art Scroll that this book was coming out, I said, should I have heard of Reb Getzel? And frankly, I don't think Reb Getzel would care whether one heard or didn't hear of him, meaning that that... He, he, would, he would want you not to hear of him. Right, exactly. Um, yeah. I mean, look. Let, let's let's do. I, I want to help. I want to try to do a little bit of a summary, and then and then we'll get into some of the details. But the the reality is that Reb Getzel was somebody who um, was an exceptional businessman that and, and a visionary when it came to the business world, and really had only one goal. It seems, and that was to do what was necessary. You called it a builder of an empire of Chesed, and I agree with you. Obviously, there's a lot of Chesed involved. But not just Chesed, whatever Jewish leadership or Jewish initiatives required funding, he wanted to be there to do it. And I think that there's something yeah. I think there's something really special about that. I'm not minimizing those who dedicate their lives to Chesed. He did, and many people do. But I think it was even beyond that uh, when it came to building institutions, when it came to being there in situations like Jewish education and other sometimes unattractive causes, right? Sometimes, sometimes building buildings and understanding the importance of educating uh, our youth, you know, in future generations. Sometimes those are not uh, the most prominent of of Chesed offerings that are out there. But he saw a vision both in Europe and the United States in terms of the future of the Jewish community, and he just wanted to be part of building it. Yeah, he built all over the world. You know what? He reminds me of Kurt Rothschild today. Right. Kurt, and both of them are very small, very small people, very short in right. stature, but great in, in, in the way they saw the world. 100%, and also understood their influence would have an effect for generations, which a lot of people For generations. Uh, you know, I, when they came to me, when the, fam, the Friedman family reached out to me, they have to, just to make a little Seder, so the, uh, Rob Getzel had, uh, he had uh, four kids, so there was two, do- there was two daughters, and there was sons, so two sons. So he really had five kids, but one, was, one died in Europe in a bombing. Of uh, in during the war, right. but uh, there's two, two burgers, and then there was Englander of Elish Englander, who's a son-in-law, and then there was Rabbi Chaim Feldman, who's a son-in-law. So they have big supporters of Vizhnitz and big supporters of Bells Machlovka and big supporters of Samer. 
very, very Choshma family. And when the family reached out to me, I was reached out to by the Sadegura Rebison. Rebison Friedman, Sarah Friedman reached out to me from L.A. She was there with her husband, the Sadegura Rebbe, who was undergoing treatments at the time. It was a very hard time for her. And the Rebbitsons, this was the project that gave her, like, uh, it took her able, gave her something to, to, like, take her mind off what she was going through when we worked on the project. She would spend nights uh, with her husband, and she would, she would be busy working on the book, on drafts of the book, and it took her mind out of what she was going through. You know, so it really came at the right time. But uh, she really single-handedly pulled it together. She got a lot of other people in the family you know, involved, and they all helped. But she was the one who spearheaded the project. And when, when they came to me and they asked me to write this book about Rabbi Gessel, who passed away 45 years ago, and I thought, right, let's, let's, let's try to understand, what's the hook over here? What's, like, what's special? Why should people want to know about Rabbi Gessel? And, this, and the truth is, the more I got to know him, the more, the more I got to know of him, the more I realized. But when I originally, my original thought was, okay, here's a person, he's a rich man, very rich man, like the biggest real estate owner in England. Right. He owned, if you read the newspapers, I quoted some of the articles. Uh-huh. Man, Mamish owned, he was a landlord, the biggest landowner in, in England. Uh-huh. Okay, but there's a lot of rich people, a lot of rich people, so we're not going to write books about every rich person. Uh, so he was a big Balchesed. There are a lot of Balchesed. You know, he was amazing, Balchesed, but a lot of amazing. Balchesed Kleisel, full of amazing Balchesed. Right. So what else? Then there's a third thing. He was a Satmar Rebbe's right-hand man. Right. Now put together the fact that he was the biggest, tremendous Balchesed, tremendous Balchesed. Very wealthy man, big builder, plus the fact you don't live in, in Williamsburg. You lived in London. But the Sama Rebbe reached out to him. He met him as a bacher in Europe when he was the Rebbe and he was a bacher. And they talked to learning. And that conversation that they had uh, made enough of an impression on the Sama Rebbe that years later, decades later, he's reaching out to Gessel Berger and he's asking him to become his right-hand man. Yeah. Oh, boy, you're, you're mentioning so many things here. You know, it's funny. You don't even mention... The Satmar Rebbe on the cover of the book. Like I was saying to myself, I wonder, you know, especially if you want to sell books, <laughs> and we know how people, you know, view the the story of the Satmar Rebbe. It's always an intriguing story, whether you're from the Satmar, whether you're from the Satmar community or not. It's always an intriguing. So he's one of the most amazing. Per- whether you agree with him or not, it's one of the most amazing personalities in modern Jewish history. Uh, and I said to myself, if you really want to sell this book, you know, why not mention that he's his right hand man to the Satmar Rebbe? But but it's funny, as much as that, and by the way, in the book, you sort of portray it that way. That, that was one of his main functions. But in it the, was. Right. It really but, was. but in the scheme of things, it's really just a, I don't want to use the word small, but it's just a part of what he did. It was sort of, and, 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 and in some ways, I would say a culmination of what he did. He, he doesn't re-meet the Satmar, he doesn't reunite with the Satmar Rebbe much later in life, right? He was already way into middle age yeah. when he started going on missions for the Rebbe. When he became a chassid of the Rebbe, right. he was well into middle age already. Yeah. So it's not like it's, you know, he, he's, he built his empire financially in his chesed empire and starts building all around the world important Jewish institutions uh, without even having, re, I keep saying re-met, without having been reunited with the Satmar Rebbe. And by the way, what does this say, Rabbi Seltzer, about old ties? What does it say about old? Because you know, pe- people like myself who are getting up there in age, you know, we look back at some of the people who've been helpful to us, and some of the people who've been important to us in our lives, and it's amazing how many of them are people that we know for thirty-five, forty, forty-five years. And 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 look at this, this reunion between the two of them, just remembering what they were like in their youth, that sincerity of youth that they both both enjoyed about each other, comes back to to help create something so special later on. Uh, so first of all, you speak your enthusiasm and excitement of life is like a 25-year-old, okay? <laughs> That's number one. Thank you. Okay? You are so, you have more excitement and more going on over there than, than people who are like uh, 18 in camp on color war night by the Grand Sing when they won. Thank you. <laughs> That's number one. Number two is that I have to go with you on this one. The, the, if you think about your, the big friendships you have in your life, you yeah. realize the majority of them happen when you're young. Yeah. That's when we become friends with people, and that's the friendships that last. Because later on, it's like a lot of times we, we look at people like, what do they want from me? Right. Like, what is it? What, what's your motive? Why yeah. are you going out of your way? When we're kids, when we're young, we just spend time with each other. We don't want anything from each other. We just like spending time with each other. We have a Rebbe. We have somebody we like, and we connect to that person. We want to spend time with that person. And it's, it's less ulterior motive and more like we connect to that person, and that and those are the connections that last forever. Yeah. Yeah, like you're saying. My and by the way, I have regards for you from your brother. Thank you. 
Yeah, and why do you ask? Good. Why do you, you ask? Why do I have regards? To me? Well, I'm assuming you've seen him recently. <laughs> <laughs> well, the answer is very simple. I'm, I just today finished writing the book about Yitzhak Shiner, the Rashiv of Kamenetz, ah. and your brother is the administrator in Kamenetz. That's and therefore, right. I've been in touch with your brother, Avigal. Very and nice. And therefore, I said I'm going to send regards to you. Of, so, so that, we'll so, talk about it in a couple months. So I was just going to okay. say, now we have to slap another conversation onto the uh, schedule, huh? <laughs> yeah, well, there's actually one before that, but you know, okay, <laughs> we, we don't want to get too ahead of ourselves. Yeah. I'll tell you, there's always something in the hopper. It's funny because uh, sometimes someone from the old days will contact me and ask me for a favor, and I'll say... Ah, I do favors all day for people I met yesterday. I'm not going to do it for you. Like, you know, and, uh, I'm, and I'm not trying to be a big shot. I'm just trying to say that those old Sharon, those old ties are so vital in life. And that to mm-hmm. me, and by the way, when I read the part of the book that Reb Getzel, you know, stepped forward and helped the Satin Rebbe build, not just in America, he was building around the world. But of course, what I was focused on was Curious Yoel, right? He had such an important role in establishing Curious Yoel. That he was the negotiator. Right. He purchased the land. At a cra- he purchased the land. They couldn't do it. They were trying and trying to get that going, and it wouldn't go. It wouldn't work. Finally, the Rebbe brings in Reb Getzler from London. Reb Getzler manages to negotiate the, the, the project. He gets the land, and it's top secret. It's a great story. Yep. It's an amazing story. Yeah, it is an amazing story. Um, and the price, by the way, was also pretty amazing. But, 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 <laughs> but my point is, and I, I don't want to harp too much on this, but I just think it's so important, especially for the younger people who read this book, the point is, I'm reading this in, about all these encounters, and they are older gentlemen at this point, right? The Samar Rebbe, this was one of his, the last things he wanted to do in his life to, was to make sure that his Hasidim had a, had a community for themselves in this country. Correct. He said, he, I call it the line, he said, if I don't have a community, if I don't have a, a carrier for my Hasidim, what have I done in this right, world? Right, which is unbelievable when you think about it in the context of rebuilding after the war. Remember, he was in a concentration camp. It's not like he, he didn't see the depths of, of, of horror. And this is what he's He speaking. was in Bergen-Belsen right. with Rebetzin Young in the right. same in the same barrack. Correct, and this is what he's what he's focused on is the future. I mean, it, it's that whole piece is unbelievable. But again, when I when I read how the two of them in this partnership are building a an important you know Jewish community in this country and the future of the Satmar Hasidus, frankly, right? I mean, I I, I would yeah. basically, I would basically when I'm reading it and knowing that they knew each other. You know, as, as uh, should I say teenagers? Would that be accurate? Were they teenagers in their twenties? Uh, the rebel was no. Gessel was a teenager. The rebel was already uh, young growth. So I'm saying to myself, wow, there's something extra special about that. That they are, you know, g- reuniting and going through this whole process together, and 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 really, you know, tying up, so to speak, all the loose ends from so much earlier in their lives. So I, again, I, don't I, wanna... I agree with you completely. I want to ask you a question: Who are your three big influences in life? Wow. <laughs> oh, gosh, I'd have to think about this one for a while. <laughs> and, and half the people listening would be upset about who I would say anyway. <laughs> so, so I got to be really... Well, I was going to ask you who your three best friends are, but that really would, like, yeah, that you would, know... That would create a storm. Now, why do you ask that? You ask about influencers because, because why? I mean, I'm going with you over here. You're telling me this is a big deal, so let's go back in your own life. Who are the, the people from 20, 30 years ago that you say... Like the Satmareva ends up being a huge influence on Getzel, even though they met one time, like for a short time, when he was a Bacham, decades earlier, and that comes, like you say, it was like they struck a match, and 30 years later, the match burst into flame. Yeah, I hear that. I'm not prepared for the answer right now, but I hear what you're saying. That's okay. That's okay. You don't. You know. Well, next time we talk, you could you could tell me the answer. That's okay. okay. You're thousands of miles away, so I'm not worried. But <laughs> if you were here, if you were here in my studio, it would be it would be difficult to avoid it, frankly. <laughs> but right now, I'll just say I'll pass at the moment. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer is with us. The book is called Reb Getzel: The Dramatic Life of Reb Getzel Berger, Builder of an Empire of Chesed. Check it out at artscroll.com. Always use promo code radio when you order anything from Rabbi Seltzer or any of the other authors over at uh, artscroll.com. And, you know, you, you agreed with me when I said it was beyond chesed, not to minimize what people do when there are poor people, what people do. Even, by the way, even the way he fed poor people, even the way he went about the system of housing people who, you know, needed a place to stay or were new, you know, coming into England from a different country, and there were plenty of people like that in those days, of course, even the way he went about that whole system was so different than the than the traditional, you know, handouts of money. You there, Rabbi? Right. Then the tra- yeah, yeah. You know what I mean by yeah, that? Like, 
It was a restaurant. He created yeah. a restaurant that right. people are paying money to eat in, and they're actually complaining, and they're saying, I don't like the wine. Get me a better wine. And he's going to get it for them. He's, he's doing the trick that, that uh, by Crohn's father did, Trevor Grossman's father, when he stayed in his house. Right. That, you know, that famous story. But he's doing it every single day for years. Right. That's what I mean, that he's just, he thinks on a different level. He's just, you know, he has a different, a completely different perspective, a much bigger picture thinker than this. The Not only a chesed in business also. Think about it. He's the guy who he realizes that, that England's going into the blitz and they're going to need batteries for their right. flashlights. And he's the guy who opens the company to make the batteries. And he becomes a multimillionaire from that. And he uses that money to go into real estate. And it becomes like a huge, huge, but it's all from someone who's thinking out of the box. Yeah. It's unbelievable, I'm telling you. I mean, you know, they're bombing London. Nobody knows if it's going to last a day or, 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 or 10 years. And he's saying to himself, you know, here's an opportunity because this is not going to end for a while. Not going to happen again, and we got to get in on this. And, and yeah. he, he went for it, and it changed. It just it created from that opportunity millions and millions and millions of dollars were given out to Tzedakah because of that. We know what he was like. Uh, it, it, we know how he was viewed in terms of other Jews. I mean, it just a, just the people who he helped, the way they thought of him, the way they admired him, and, and you could imagine the respect they had for him. But it does seem to me, not that you make a big point of this, but it does seem to me the way they write about him in the newspapers and the way people in general interact with him, that he had the tremendous respect of all human beings, not just the Jewish community. Look, you couldn't you couldn't ignore the man. It's like you know, sometimes you meet a person and you don't even know them, and they make a tremendous impression on you just by who they are. Their personality makes an impression. You, we we jump to conclusions about people all the time. You know, you meet a person, you right. decide without speaking to them whether you like them or not. Here's a person, just by who he is, his essence was so royal that he he, he was really a person that made a tremendous impression on people. It's unbelievable. An amazing person. Really an amazing person. Like, what was the way the... he did things. I don't know if you, you saw the story I wrote. One story which I, I was not able to corroborate. I was standing in Shul in Stanford Hill, and a friend of mine from the mirror sees me and he says, Oh, what are you doing? Yes, I said, I'm writing a book about Getzel Burgers. He said, I got to tell you a story. He says, One time, Getzel Burgers standing outside in his garden one morning. And a guy sees him later that day in his garden, pacing back and forth, and he says, what, What's on your mind? So he says, I'll tell you what's on my mind. This morning, I get a call from the bank that there's a property that's being foreclosed, and do I want to buy it? But I didn't have money to, to buy it. My money's all tied up. A few hours later, I get a call from the bank that there's a ton of surplus money. They have surplus money. They want to offer it to me to use if I want to, if I want to buy a property. So I took the surplus money, and I bought the property that they offered me a few hours before. A few hours later, I get a call from someone I know who says that he wants to buy that property. Will I sell it to him? So I triple my money in one day. <laughs> I'm standing here. You ask me, what am I thinking? I'm thinking to myself, what does Hashem want from me? Yeah, because if he's giving me all this money, he wants me to use it for the he's right purpose. He's giving it to me in one day. I get three of these opportunities. One after the next, he's feeding it to me. What does he want from me? And I, so I said to myself, this is an amazing story about this person. I tried to corroborate the story, but I couldn't find anyone who, who else who knew it. And I wrote the story anyway, and I wrote in the book, it's like the Chavetz Chaim, the famous story of the Chavetz Chaim, where the judge says, you know, is that true? How could that story be true? And the judge says, well, they don't say these stories about me and you, right? right. That's what the, the yeah. lawyer said. Yeah. And I said, yeah, maybe, I don't know if it's true, but they don't say these stories about me and you. They say it about him, because that's the kind of person he was. Because Baruch who gave him the Echelis, and, he, and he, he ran with it. He, he realized what his Echelis was, and he actually maximized it. And, I, and as I'm reading that story, I'm saying to myself, you know... I probably know a lot of people that are making three times their money in a day, especially the way things are going these days. You know, maybe instead of putting an extra swimming pool in the house, maybe there's something else God wants me to do with that money. Not judging okay. any, not judge, not judging anybody. Not just, we no, don't do that. No, no, I'm not judging anybody, but I am saying that if you read this book, it could change all of our perspectives yes. about you know what we're spending, including myself, what we're spending our money on. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, so. he's an amazing. This is a person. That all he cared about was he lived in a, he lived in a, in a if you would go to his house you, and the, the press could never understand it the press you know the British press are notorious for how they deal with celebrities right they're notorious and they couldn't they kept on trying to write exposés on Getzelberg and his family and no matter what they tried they could the man didn't even own a car he lived in a house that was less that was more simple than his tenants. <clears throat> They didn't know what to do with him. 
They couldn't understand. And the more they tried to reach him, the more he was no comment, and he would go to shul to learn and eat a piece of herring and a piece of bread. And that was his. And they couldn't wrap their minds around who is this man, this billionaire who's so reclusive and he doesn't want anything to do with anything and he's not looking to be a peer of the of the realm he's not looking to be knighted he doesn't want any limelight he doesn't want any press he just wants me to leave me alone and let me be a chassid and let me do learn learn Torah and Davin. by the way there are there are jewish billionaires in this country like that you should know maybe one day you'll write books about them but seriously there are from billionaires in this country like that the way you just described that, it what, that what that live that in what? very very modest homes and and uh, you know and whose and whose children and tenants live much better than they do <laughs> you know even though they have billions of dollars i'm telling you there are people- you should know even even till today though the burger family it, i was i went to london to 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 spend time with the family you should know they're very they're mom is not a family that goes crazy at all with this yeah, kind of thing it's not of about course, that of course it's such a special family they're really special. i mean when you like, re- when you know you, yeah i'm sorry you know, I sat with him, Ellis Englander, his son-in-law. Yeah. He's, a, he's already an older older man today, and his son is his son uh, was a big help for me for, with the book. And and uh, I sat with him in London, in Stafford Hill, and you know, in an old Stafford Hill house. And what's exciting there of Ellis Englander? What gets him excited? He opens his wallet, and he takes out a letter from the Satmar Rebbe. Satmar Rebbe wrote him fifty years ago. It's folded, and refolded, and folded, and refolded, and he opens it up. And he's showing to me this letter from the Sama Rebbe, and that's what gets him excited. You know, I, a few days ago I was the auctioneer at the Genazim auction in Eretz Yerushalayim. Yeah, I can tell you what people go crazy for pieces of of, of history. This family has so many his pieces of history, like the letters, the the manuscripts. The it's unbelievable. They're like a treasure trove, and that's what gets him excited. Not the money. It's it's not about the money. It's about Klai Yisrael. It's yeah, a, they're a beautiful family. No, I hear that. I'm telling you. Um. And uh, by the way, what was the uh, what was the Shiloh he asked Reb Chaim Moser? I just don't remember the story. What was it that he asked Reb Chaim Moser? Um, you remember that? Chaim Moser. It was. Um, what was the What was that Shiloh? Was a, there was a There was a reason why you quoted it. I don't remember what it was the context. But... He, uh, well, I think it was was it a question about about him being a rabbi, maybe right? Something to do with him being a rabbi for a specific purpose. Could he say? He's... I'd have to. I would have to check it yeah, out. Yeah, I don't remember. Me. Actually, did Chazar on the book, and you got me on that point. <laughs> well done. This is the problem when You're you read a, when you read a book on Shabbos. You can't take notes, you know. <laughs> Otherwise, I would. Yeah, he sent a letter of Chaim Oizer because he needed he needed to psak about it, something to do with, with helping Klal If I'm not mistaken, I think it had to do with him being called a rabbi or something. I just don't remember but completely was... right now. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. That was a long. That was an old letter from a long time ago. I don't think they have a copy of that letter. What, but you're, do it. But no, you're, I'm not sure. But your point was. Not but sure. your point was that 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 it was rare for someone to write a letter like that. I don't remember the topic, but when people read it, they'll see it. It was rare for people to you know consult with a rabbi on an issue like that, and uh, and he went ahead and did so. I think that was the point, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yeah, tremendous task, you know, it's it all that It was with Burger, but uh, you know what. He was really the man in, in, in the back of Yosef Herman in the Lower East Side. Getzel Berger was like, like he was like the all for the boss in Stafford right, Hill. Right. Should I have heard of him? In all seriousness, now, like if I if, if I go, if I stop the average forty year old in Monroe, you, would they have heard of him or not? Yes, they all. Yeah, in Monroe, they all. It all Chassidim. Chassidim in general know who he was. When Rechi Frankfurter heard that Revitzin Friedman wanted to do a piece on her on her grandfather, she jumped at it. It was the cover of Ami magazine because Rechi right. Frankfurter, Rabbi Frankfurter, grew up hearing about it. any Chassidim. Chassidim all know about him. If you go to Eretz Yisrael, you go to Shikut Satmer on the shul in Menibrak, the big shul. It says. Donated by Gesselberger, not because he wanted. The Rebbe made him put up the, the name on the building. He forced him. He said, "Hey, it's us." The minute and you have to put it up. Otherwise, you won't find his name on things. He did not want his name on things. But in, in Shikut Satmar, you'll find his name. He also negotiated that thing. That was a big thing with the mayor of Benebrak. Gessel was involved with that. Also, Rebbe Gessel, he was the one who built Shikut Satmar. He built all over Israel. He built all over America. He built all over England. He built. The, he bought the schools that the, the, the yeshivas are in. Uh, it's 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 a never anything, and he would come with a checkbook to the rebbe, and, and and you know he said to the rebbe would ask him for checks, and he would say, well, let me just give you the checkbook, write the checks yourself, and the rebbe would say, no, I want you to come, I want you to write the checks, I'll get more money that way. <laughs> and, and and once the rebbe was talking about what Gessel did, and he said, uh, uh, this is the this is the building that Gessel paid for, but this is the building that I built. The rebbe said, wow. 
Hopefully. That was the relationship. You know, if you remember, I start the book, I, I end off the book with the Rebbe standing, and he's looking, it's Moitzi Yomtev. Right. And he's standing with out him. at his window. With him. And I, and I just picture this scene. It's a right. poignant scene. It's so poignant. And standing next to him is one man. Out of all those thousands, the one is one man standing next to him. Rabbi Gessel looking out the window together with Zavarev. To me, it's like, that's such a beautiful scene. I wish I had a painting of that scene. Unbelievable. The whole thing is unbelievable. Book is called Reb Getzel, The Dramatic Life of Reb Getzel Berger, Builder of an Empire of Chesed. And uh, as you heard Rabbi Seltzer describe, and as I mentioned earlier, really the right-hand man, um, uh, if you will, of the Satmar Rebbe. Uh, but that's just one. It's just one. It's significant, Rabbi Seltzer, and you, I, you know I agree that it's significant. But when you read the whole book, it's just one piece to this unbelievable uh, life that he put together. And uh, that's why they didn't put it on the cover, right, by the way. Exactly, because it, it, like it, it's sort of like it's a great seller for the cover, but it, it wouldn't be fair because it's not just that. It's not just that that, right. was, that was not his only tafkid in his legacy. There were so many other things that he did uh, for so many Hasidic groups, so many Jewish groups, and for d- different communities around the world. Whether it's Israel, and getting everyone out of jail in Romania. Right, we're talking about thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds to get. For the Skelena Rebbe to get you then out out of jail in in Romania and the and strategies, the strategies that were necessary, and the 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 the, the um the sharp the, the the sharp knowledge that he needed in order to get it done. On the diplomatic front, you should know. That's why I tell you. People ask me a lot of times, why do you why do you write books about people who are alive? And I'll tell you, I got to tell you, it's a thousand times better to write books about people who are alive. I was able to interview a guest so I could get the real story. Right. He shows that each of those stories. How he got Harry to, to go to ask him from England to go to the United Nations to get an appointment with the, the, with the was, United Nations to go to Romania. That's that that is such a 1950s story. It would never happen today. That would never happen. Never happened today. today. <laughs> but if I could talk to Rav Gessel, I could hear the real story. Right. And what about his, what about the Pachad story with his daughter, when when she was uh, begging him to get her back home when all the children were evacuated from London. You read about Robertson Grunfeld, right? You read about that Judith sure. Grunfeld and sending sure. all the kids out to Shepherd. Well, yeah. that's that's that that time, yeah. and she's in the and she's a chip off the old block. She's finding a telephone in a time when no one has telephones. Right. She's calling her <laughs> father, and she's saying, "Get, get me out of here!" And then her brother comes and like escapes with her from yeah. the village, and it's crazy. It's like it's mamish people who didn't do things like everyone else. But it sort of reminds me. There's a spiritual level to that as well. It sort of reminds me, you know, you show your hishtadlis, you show that you're ready to do what's right, what you think is best for your child, for your family, etc., and, and God's going to push you along the rest of the way. That's what's it, it, that's how I felt when I read that. Yeah, yeah. When you're Moshe Nefesh Barakadosh Baruch Hu, and you're not willing to bend any corners, and you'll do everything you can, and you and you come, and you're... You are so determined to be a Hasidic Shayyid, even in a time when there aren't any Hasidic Shayyidin. You're determined to remain a Hasid in, in, a, in, a, in a time when no one's Hasidim. No one's, no one, they look at you funny, they make fun of you. And you're like, I don't care. I'm an Avram Avinu. Yeah. Seemed he was afraid, of, afraid literally of nobody. And look at all the people he encountered in that era. He was afraid of nobody except the one above. Simple as that. Anyway, Rabbi Seltzer, always a delight. Good luck with the book. I assume the reaction so far has been very positive. Of course. The Getzel. What do you mean? The legendary of Getzel. How could it not? Baruch Hashem. It, look, in England, it's definitely flying. Oh, yeah. And this is, he's, their, he's their man. But I, I think in America also, the Chassidus the community, they, this is something that's mamish for them, and uh, even for anyone else. But yeah. for sure, for the Chassidus community, this is something that everyone should be reading in all the schools. It should be something that all the libraries should have, and every they should be doing book reports on Rav Getzel because Rav Getzel was really one of the builders of, of Yiddishkeit post-war. Yeah. This is a, a, a story for everyone. It's not just a story for Satmar. Yeah, I mean, it's not just it, a story it, for. And I would add it's a story for everybody because if we can get our kids and 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 we as adults to read books like these. And then question ourselves, are we doing what we should be doing? Are we spending our money the way we're spending our money? Are we doing chesed the way we should be doing chesed? Everyone on their own level. Not everybody has to be a regetzel and do things in the millions and hundreds of millions. But uh, everybody on their own level could certainly learn from this and, uh, and, and see how to act and what to implement in order to help people out there in our community. That's for sure. Yep. Rabbi Seltzer, I thank you so much for joining us as usual. And uh, Mazal Tov on the brand new book. Thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure. It's uh, really, Baruch Hashem, I, I, I missed, 
I miss being on the show when Rabbi Grossman, you had Rabbi Grossman instead of me, which I can understand. <laughs> I, don't, I don't blame you for having Rabbi Grossman. If you could have Rabbi Grossman, why would you have me? I get it. But, uh, you know, nevertheless, I did feel the lack of not being on the show. It was a ratings grabber, Rabbi Seltzer, I'll tell you that much. It was a ratings hey, listen, grabber. I, it is what it is. It is what it is. We gotta, I can't compete with that glowing face and that long white beard. I can't compete with it. I don't have that I just pun him yet, you know, maybe one day. But uh, I can completely understand why Rabbi Grossman is on the show. I get it. By the way, I, I, I mean, I can only imagine how many times you spent time with him in Migdalar. I mean, countless times, right, I would assume, if you were writing a Well, book. actually, we spoke on the phone a lot more uh, than in person. Because he, he, you know, he drives from Migdalar to Tel Aviv with Yushalayim. And a lot of times when he was on the road... Being driven places, he would call me, and that's when I would interview him the, on the phone the reason, while he was going places. The reason I'm asking or, 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 or assuming that is because there is nothing, and I'm sure you saw this at least once, there is nothing like walking around Migdal Haimik with him and seeing, oh. and seeing the way people react to him. There's nothing like that. They kids, the kids idolize oh. him. They walk with him. They look up at him with these eyes like, you are Mashiach. Yeah, no question about it. Amazing! It's unbelievable. They Hopefully look. I was amazing. with them in Amigdal Amik, and it took us around. My wife said it was like getting a tour of the White House from the president. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, good comparison, but even more special, frankly. <laughs> All right, well, especially with today's president. But okay, yeah. <laughs> Stay well and continued success. Thank you, Nachum. Bimatzliach. Thank you so much, my Nachman Seltzer. The book is called Reb Getzel: The Dramatic Life of Reb Getzel Berger. Builder of an empire of chesed. And uh, I am highly recommending it. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio. When you use promo code radio, you get a nice discount and free shipping on no matter what you buy. Go to artscroll.com, use promo code radio. Rabbi Nachman Seltzer's brand new book is called Rib Getzel. And you are listening to JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Rabbi Nachman Seltzer. Jordy Alter up next. He spoke to us from Japan as Israel and Team Israel was going through an unbelievable baseball tournament during the Olympics. It didn't end the way we wanted, but Jordy had a lot of important things to say. And here he is with uh, that conversation on JM Rewind on the Nachum Siegel Network. I think we have Jordy Alter with us. Uh, J.M. and A.M. on a Monday morning, and uh, Jordy Walter is president of uh, Israel Baseball. He's in Japan. He has seen every pitch of the uh, Israel uh, team participation in this uh, Olympic baseball tournament. More importantly, he has uh, seen some very important moments. I'm not talking about the pranks that everyone seems to be talking about around the world. I'm talking about the uh, incredible Jewish spirit that has been uh, shared by people around the world. Jordy, around the world. Jordy Alter from Japan. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning, Nachum. It's nice to be here. Thank you for having me. Appreci How are you? I appreciate that. Uh, we'll talk about the important stuff first. Um, you go yeah. you go ahead. You light Shabbos candles. You make Kiddush. No matter where the team would be, you said you would start Shabbos with candle lighting and with Kiddush. Uh, and they were in the stadium when all that happened on Friday night. Uh, and you end up, of course, you yeah. know, walking to a nearby hotel, etc., um, unless the unless the video lies or someone really doctored it well, I have never seen a group of yes. ath of athletes respect candlelighting and kiddish the way the Israel team did this past Friday night. Yeah, it was it was something super special. It's something that I had the privilege of doing every time we're together and with this with this team with some of our other you know teams that travel throughout Europe almost every summer. Um, to spend Shabbos together with them. And depending on how things work out, what aspect of Shabbos we get to share together. And it just so happened this past Friday night, it was in the clubhouse right prior to the game. Shabbat came in in Tokyo at 6.30. The game started at 7 o'clock. <laughs> so we went to the clubhouse, and we had a beautiful beginning to Shabbat. Yeah, and I know there are people out there, and I, I understand it in our community, who you know wonder about the playing on Shabbos and all that. But that's not what I like to focus on. I like to focus on the fact that these players... Uh, take very seriously their role in representing the Jewish people and Israel. And if there's a Jewish ritual that's important and well-known, uh, they're going to make sure to have proper respect for it. And I think I think if you, if you watch the video, just the way they reacted to it, the way they joined you in Kiddush, uh, the, uh, yes. they, they, the way they stood in awe as if this was the most important moment of the Olympics, I thought was really cool. 
you know, and, and I'll tell you, for, you know, for those that don't understand how it is, some with athletes that are Jewish but ne- ne- not necessarily are uh, Dati, don't, are not Shomri Shabbat, but this aspect of their connection to Judaism is so, so important. Yeah. That's something that, um, that we pride ourselves in, the fact that we brought them to make Aliyah and to become part of, you know, part of Israel, and they feel it. And their connection to Shabbat is so important that when I don't do it for some reason, because whatever, you know, if I'm separated from them on Shabbat and I can't join them for Shabbat, they always wonder why we didn't have Shabbat together. So it's so crucial and it's so important to them, and they, they really appreciate it. And as you heard, the singing for Kiddush was, was I, I couldn't make it, almost didn't make it through the end. It was <laughs> overwhelming when they joined in at the end. It was so, it was so special. So remarkable, I'll tell you. Jordy Walters with us. He's in Japan. All right. So Israel does defeat Mexico, then loses today to um, uh, to South Korea. Boy, today must have been a rough one, huh? Not, not just loses, but uh, we got we got shellacked. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the problem is we we are very very pitching weak. Um, as most of you probably know, our top pitcher, um, Nachman's favorite pitcher, John yeah. Moscott, after nine pitches in the first game, blew out his arm. Um, so he's not available to us anymore, and he was our really our only legitimate starting pitcher in our in our lineup. So it's been a struggle to keep things going, and we have to pick and choose along the way, you know, how we work our pitchers. So today's strategy was basically see how the game goes. And in the fourth inning, the game was close; it was three to one, and we had a couple of scoring opportunities, and we couldn't capitalize. And the um, the coaching staff basically made the decision that we couldn't sacrifice some of our better pitchers today because we need them for tomorrow's game, which is basically an elimination game. So tomorrow against the Dominican Republic um, at uh, 7 o'clock Japan time, so that's 6 o'clock your time, just as your show is starting, um, we will play Dominican Republic, and the team that loses will go home, unfortunately. So yeah. we're preparing for that game. We're going to give it another go-round and uh, watch the game while Jam Nam is going on like we did late last week. Uh, those who follow Major League Baseball know that the Dominican Republic has some, uh, you know, quality players. Uh, should I assume that this is going to be a very tough game tomorrow? Uh, certainly, listen. Any any game here is, you know, with these other five other teams is a tough game. Uh, certainly, the Dominican Republic will be a very tough game. They have incredibly difficult hitters. Um, they have very good starting pitcher against us tomorrow, and the goal will be to try to get past that starting pitcher, get into their bullpen, which is very suspect, um, and to, for our pitchers to try to uh, keep them off balance. Because if you try to go with them at your, with your heat, you're going to get in big trouble. In fact, you know, I was watching yesterday, the Dominicans played, um, it was uh, Korea last night, um, and they lost uh, in, in the ninth inning. They blew a lead, but their big hitter in the eighth inning hit a ball to the middle of the scoreboard in the stadium, which is approximately about, they estimated, 475 feet. Oh my God. And this morning when we got there, there was a big hole in the middle of the <laughs> scoreboard from where the ball hit it um, in this electronic scoreboard, which they repaired right before the game. So uh, we don't want to challenge their, their big hitters, that's for sure. <laughs> I understand that. Jordy Alters yeah. with us now. Uh, I noticed in my email that there are opportunities to support Israel baseball with authentic uniforms. You actually, I mean, th- these are not game used. These are just replicas of authentic uniforms, correct? That's true, yes. So, yes. Pe- so if, if you go to um, um, uh, israelbaseballteam.com, right. um, you can have – there's all sorts of merchandise on that site. Um, our partner is Clip Keepers. Um John has done an amazing job producing these, you know, great, uh, you know, uh, jerseys and all, all other items, kippahs and hats and all shirts and everything. So anybody that's interested, please check out that site. Uh, and uh, the reason I mention it is because I'm still waiting, of course, for the game use stuff to go up. Is there still intention for the game use uniforms to go up for sale? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. We will we will have game use uniforms for every one of the players. So those that are interested, you know, they definitely will be available. Yeah. All right. It's for team. Sure. It's teamisraelbaseball.com, folks. Team Israel. Okay. Team, just, I got it right in front of me. Teamisraelbaseball.com. You can shop for the t shirts, the hoodies, the hats, the yarmulkes, the bobbleheads, the custom jerseys, which are really cool. And once the uh, game used jerseys are available, I will make sure to let you know. But meanwhile, go and uh, shop the largest selection of official Israel baseball merchandise, which helps support the team, uh, not only in terms of. Um, uh, rah rah support, but in terms of uh, financial uh, uh, financial assistance as well, 
Uh, TeamIsraelBaseball.com, TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Now, the bottom line is, even though Israel's won only one game, and boy, Jordy, that first game was a killer, not just because of Mascot, but because it looked like, yeah. you know, after all the comebacks, it looked yeah. like they were going to win. Um, that was such, yes. such a yeah, killer, that, was, that first game. That was game. devastating, for sure. Um, yeah. but, um, uh, but, but if Israel wins uh, tomorrow morning, for us it'll be tomorrow morning, tomorrow morning's game, uh, they're in, right? Yes. They're, they're in the medal round. They'll go to what we call the That's semifinals correct. of the Olympics. That's exactly right. If we win tomorrow, we're guaranteed a medal game, guaranteed to at least play in the bronze game. There's still a path for even us to play in the gold gold medal game. But if we win tomorrow, you know we will be playing at least in the bronze medal game. All right, so one step at a time. Let's win tomorrow's yes. game against the Dominican Republic. Right. <laughs> what? Yes. Have, yes. Have, and it, guarantee, it guarantees me another visit on your show, so I'll be rooting <laughs> especially hard tomorrow. Have they announced <laughs> a starting pitcher for Israel for tomorrow night? Tomorrow's pitcher will be Josh Zide. He will be the starting pitcher for tomorrow's All tomorrow. right. Zide has, uh, Zide has a lot of Team Israel experience. He sure does, and he's he's really he's tough as nails. That guy, and you know, I wouldn't want to put you know he's with his experience with us in Korea, you know, in 2017, and in Brooklyn, and everywhere else. He's the guy, so we're very happy to have him starting that game. And uh, everyone wants to know who the trainer is with the Yamaka who came out to help Moscot. <laughs> that is. That is our uh, physical therapist, Yoni Rosenblatt, who is my uh, my partner in crime. We spend sh- we spend a lot of these Shabbatot together when we're uh, on the road. Um, and uh, Friday night after the game, uh, we walked to our hotel about twenty minutes away um, and spent Shabbat there. It was a beautiful Shabbat in Yokohama, and uh, you know, so it's nice for me to have somebody that I can share Shabbat with. Yoni is American or he's an Israeli? He is a. He is from Baltimore, Maryland, so that wow. would make him an American. Yes, unbelievable! Yeah. I'll he, tell you, yeah. so many people. He's actually, he's actually, he's actually a, a physical therapist. Uh, his specialty is, is sports, is sports medicine. So he he has a lot of football players in Baltimore area and baseball players that he, that he treats. He's a wonderful, wonderful uh, physical therapist. What was the official diagnosis on Moscot? An elbow injury. Yeah, it's. Uh, um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure there's an official um, right now designation because we had an MRI here yet here, and we haven't really had proper people read it. So I'll hold off on giving any uh, assessment. But uh, he definitely needs some surgery, and I'll have to decide, you know, professionally what he's going to do. He was really revving up to try to come back in the major leagues, and it was really, really a shame. Did, really you, a ball thing. did you have a chance to schmooze with him? Because he doesn't seem the type that needs a pep talk. He seems to be somebody who's. I talk- John is one of my favorite guys to talk to. The guy is a super, super mensch. Um, he's, he's wonderful. He's always very inquisitive, you know, about Judaism in general. And uh, John is a wonderful guy to talk to. Um, and uh, his, he's actually so. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't remember if I told the story last time, but uh, his wife is expecting right. on uh, August thirteenth next right. week. Right. So. Uh, so so he so certainly I said to him after he got injured, you know maybe you should consider going home, and he said um, okay, and he called his wife and his wife said no way you you're not going to leave there because if something special happens you'll feel real sorry and I don't want you to miss that. Wow. So uh, he's 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 actually still with the team rooting us on, filling in where he can, helping out the pitching coaches and doing what he can to to help us uh, make it to the next level. Unbelievable. I'll tell you, I love that story. <laughs> I'll tell you, some, pe- yeah. some people get the big picture. Not, minimi- not minimizing how important it is to be there at the birth of a child, but some people get, the, sure. get the big picture and the investment sure. that, that people make. Uh, in in all these pursuits, yeah. but what I meant was like he he doesn't seem he doesn't seem the type that 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 really got down. It's not like he was moping around after this whole thing, was he? Listen, he was he was certainly severely uh, hurt and depressed. You know, uh, maybe depressed, but I'm sure he was inside. Right. But he was very uh, moping. Is not something that would that you would put with John Moscott. He's right. not capable of that. Um, so he was able to lift up his spirits for the team, but certainly, you know, you can tell he was really, you know, affected emotionally because uh, he put so much into this effort. He's been trying, you know, he's been preparing for a year and a half for the Olympics, and then hoping then to because he had already had he already had Tommy John surgery, right. so he was using, you know, utilizing this as an, his opportunity to help 
Israel and then eventually propel himself, hopefully, back into the majors. So uh, for him, this was a devastating injury. Yeah, I hear that. Uh, your catcher, who uh, he hit a couple of home runs in one of those games. Um, Ryan. Ryan yeah. LaVarnway. So is, has he been the catcher since the start of this whole run, like for three, four years, or he's or he's more of a newbie? No, so he's been part. He's been part of this team, um, you know, since 2017. Um, he occasionally will disappear on us because, uh, you know, unfortunately for us, fortunately for him, he gets actually picked up by a major league team. Right. So he actually played on the Cleveland Indians this year, um, and we, we were sweating bullets before the Olympics because he actually was on the team about a month before the Olympics. And uh, that's the one issue that we had with any players is Major League Baseball would not release them to play in the Olympics. Um, but uh, he was sent back down, unfortunate for him, maybe fortunate for us, and uh, he's here with us, and he's, he's really a team leader. And, um, um, and know, so, a, so four years ago in Brooklyn, it's very possible he was catching in that game. He actually, I think Rickles was catching in that particular game. Uh, I don't think he was there that particular tournament. I think he came, um, no, actually, no, he was there. He, he was, was absolutely there. there. You're correct. Is he, he a, there, is, yes. is he a West? Brian, is he a, not to put you on the spot? Is he a West Coast guy? Is he from California? Ryan is no. Um, you know, I'm not sure. Yeah, I, have to I mean, I, I I do know, but I just can't think of it right now. Yeah, I, I have to look it up. Um, and by the way, Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe, yeah. maybe I'm just you know maybe maybe it's on such a different level that I don't appreciate you know how good you have to be in the majors. But if a major league scout yeah. saw him play first base in this tournament, I, I you know, yeah. the, the guy's unbelievable. He shocked us. He shocked us as well. And Seriously, it's not his natural position. He's a third. He's a third baseman in the MLB. Um, he was a third baseman in the MLB. I mean, he played through nine seasons, so he he had a you know a somewhat of a you know reasonable major league career. Right. Um, and uh, so yeah, he's he's been remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. Um, and you know we're hoping that his back gets going a little bit, you know, a little bit more tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he's he's a, he's a real clutch hitter, and uh, he's he's definitely also you know one of the team leaders. Very very outspoken, you know, very out there, not afraid to voice his opinion. And uh, you know, he's, sometimes you make friends that way. Sometimes you know people have problems with that. So I hear it. <laughs> Believe you me, I hear yeah. it. By the way, uh, the reason Jordy cannot speak to us during the game is uh, phones are not allowed in the dugout, right, Jordy? That is absolutely correct. No electronics are in the dugout. Any Anybody caught violating these rules are, besides the fact they're kicked out, they're also fined. Right. Interestingly enough, there's a whole, there, there's so many different rules. But one of the rules is this Rule 50. Every single game, 15 minutes before Hatikva, the the Rule 50 police come and they check over everybody's uniforms and everybody's everything and they, they remove people who on bands with flags on them and it's some really really silly stuff going on and these players who actually had these custom made stuff made up with the Israeli flag on it have had to you know give it up for the game um, for no particular reason then uh, you know uh, we're at the Olympics you know you'd think that the flag yeah. would be what we're celebrating that's the whole purpose of this why wouldn't but, uh, why wouldn't any, the, why wouldn't any swag with with Israeli stuff on it be acceptable I, I can't answer that I can't answer. It's uh, one of one of the uh, strange things that has happened to us this week. Interesting, and that applies to all the teams, yeah. obviously. All the teams, all the yeah. teams. But we, I think we have more swag than anybody. You know, we're, <laughs> you know, we, <laughs> I'm trying to think. Yeah, the, I'm trying to think of what Ryan's uh, chest protector looked like. So I wanted to. I wanted it to be. In the I sh- actually. It's super interesting that you should say that. But I will send you a copy. I will send you a picture of the chest protector. And I, I'm sorry I didn't send it to you before because it's something that you would talk about because integrated into the chest protector is a high. There's a high on the shoulders, and um, in the center there's a metal, and that was sort of integrated into the art of the thing. You can't see it unless you look for it, but somebody who made up these chest protectors for us made up these chest protectors with that incorporated into the chest protector. That's funny. I will send you a picture of that. I, yeah, please yeah. do. It's yeah. funny because I was saying to myself yeah. that a catcher's chest protector is a perfect uh, place to put an Israeli flag. Like, the Israeli flag would go perfectly yeah. with the two stripes and the star. We'd go perfectly there on the catcher. But I guess I guess yeah. I would probably violate a rule or two. Uh, they wouldn't see it. The way this was designed, they wouldn't. They don't even see it. You know, you'd have to know what you're looking at to, to know it. So Interesting. They, you know, they, they were very, very clever with this. 
Jordy, I always ask you this, and I'm going to ask you to transmit this message to the team again. Uh, I hope that they understand just how many people, not enough people, frankly, although I hope in Israel you're getting the feeling that people are following, uh, just how many people are really, really proud of the way they're representing us over there in Japan and the way this team uh, wears Israel uh, uh, on on the front of their uniform. And, and I hope, I hope you're hearing from people in Israel that uh, that there are Israeli folks who are into what's happening now in Japan. Yeah, I'm, first of all, thank you for the message. It's really, really important to them. I mean, they, they really are, you know, most of them are here for that particular reason. Uh, many of them left um, minor league seasons or other places that they were playing to be here. Right. You know, this is a three-week or almost four-week, you know, between training and everything, commitment. Um, so it's really, really important to them that they know that people are, are supporting them. And, you know, it, it's, Israel's a challenge. It's been a challenge with baseball. We've gotten way more support in the last couple of days. Um, there's no question about it. After we won the first game, there was an incredible amount of interest. Today, we were told there's not much interest in you today when you lose 11 to one. So those are the challenges that you, you face in Israel. Um, but I hope that it'll you know continue to help us grow, which is what you know my you know my purpose here is to help grow baseball in Israel because I believe that it's really really important for kids, especially kids that are coming making Aliyah from America, to have something that that speaks to them, something that that makes them you know comfortable in Israel, as I as was with my kids 16 years ago when we made Aliyah, right. and I uh, hope to be able to grow it more, and that's. That's the whole purpose. We we need a tall Brody. We need we need a Rod to convert to Judaism and become an Israeli citizen. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm not so sure that would be that helpful. But uh, yeah. <laughs> but if, if they if they call Tal Brody the Babe Ruth of Israel, we really do need a Babe Ruth. We need somebody to help put the baseball we on do. the map. We'll see. We the- do well. Let's, listen, let's let's see what happens tomorrow, and yeah. uh, maybe maybe we can start to create that. Uh, you know that superstar that people can look up to. Good luck tomorrow, Jordy, and we'll, of course, be following. And thanks so much for checking in all the way from Japan. Thanks. Thanks for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Love talking to you, as always. Thank you. All the best. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Go buy something, everybody. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. Buy it. Send it up to camp. Let the kids wear it proudly. TeamIsraelBaseball.com. My thanks to Jordy Alter, who's not only the president of Israel Baseball, he was also my first program director. And he legitimately, legitimately, Ked, because uh, there are a lot of people who do it illegitimately, but he legitimately can, can take partial credit for my career. And um, I can't thank him enough for that, that's for sure. That was my conversation with Jordy Alter. Dr. Sharon Stoll was with us. We used the opportunity of the upcoming uh, event for JOMA to talk about vaccinations and the importance of vaccinating. Dr. Sharon Stoll on a recent edition of JMNAM. Here she is on JM Rewind on the Nahum Siegel Network. Our friends at JOMA uh, continue to be on the cutting edge of uh, the whole COVID-19 situation and really um, uh, so many other categories that fall under the... Uh, umbrella of um, medical situations in our community. And this coming Sunday, the virtual event will be the second annual JOMA Symposium, Shaping the Future of Medicine. It's in partnership with the Yale School of Medicine and Yale Medicine. It's a full program with a keynote address by Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who certainly has been in the news recently, director of the CDC. Um, and with us live via telephone is Dr. Sharon Stoll. Dr. Sharon Stoll is a board-certified neurologist and assistant professor in the Department of Neurology at the Yale School of Medicine. She continues to play an active role in academic development and continuing medical education. She's an investigator on several international trials and currently serves on several advisory boards. And Dr. Stoll also spent time as a medical editor at ABC News and is currently a medical commentator for several news outlets. Dr. Sharon Stoll, a pleasure to welcome you to JM in the AM. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Dr. Walensky has certainly been in the news recently. I'm assuming that uh, the political angle of uh, uh, of her rec- of, of the recent developments from the CDC uh, will not be the focus on Sunday, but what will be the focus will be science and medicine and the latest guidelines and suggestions regarding COVID-19. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as a as a medical um, symposium, politics have no role. <laughs> right, I understand that. Sometimes it seems like it's hard to keep the politics out of this whole situation, but um, 
Uh, you guys at Joma, I'll tell you one thing you've done. You've only concentrated on the science and medicine and has only concentrated on what uh, you feel is best for our community at this point. Um, what is your reaction? Uh, and I don't know why it would be any different than the rest of us, frankly, but you are in the medical world. What is your reaction as you likely, like the rest of us, were hoping that COVID-19 was waning and now, as days continue to go by, it seems like it's only increasing. Yeah, no, of course I'm disappointed. I I wish the pandemic was over. I um, uh, I have two kids, and I'm excited for them to start school in a few weeks. And um, I was hoping things would go back to normal. But unfortunately, um, as they say, man plans, God laughs. Is yeah, that the saying? It certainly um, is. <laughs> but um you know the um the good news is the vaccine works in terms of protecting those from serious infection and that was the big concern from day 1 right. the big concern from day 1 wasn't necessarily stopping every infection of covid um there are plenty of people that get covid that have a uh, slight reaction or even no reaction the problem is, we all know from the beginning that this is much, much more deadly than than the flu and other infections. And um, especially for those in New York, we don't want a repeat of when this first started. And um, with the vaccine, thank God, the vaccine has made that possible, keeping people, keeping the hospitals um, uh, normal, I should say, where whatever specialty you're in, you're treating those patients and you don't have a neurology acting as an ER physician or an OBGYN acting as, as a um, uh, intensivist um, because things were very, for those not in the medical field, it was, it was very crazy in the beginning. Um, yeah. Yeah, we all know what was going on in uh, you know, March, April, May of last year. Nobody wants to repeat that. Uh, it just seems that, uh, again, even with so many positive cases now in this country, and in specific states especially, it does seem like um, the cases are not as severe. M the majority of people are, are not being hospitalized, and even those who are, there are therapies and um, methods uh, that the medical field is now familiar with that you know can really help keep them alive and then bring them back to life, so to speak, or back to, you know, normal life. Um, with all that, I, 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 you know, one wonders whether our schools can't go back to normal. Uh, it affects, you know, young people in, in, you know, in a very mild manner. Uh, one wonders if, you know, society can't open up. And, and all we see, of course, is our elected officials and our government officials in the majority of our states, you know, threatening um, further mandates, masking, social distancing, green cards or passports, you know, vaccine passports. So, I mean, from a medical standpoint, is there a reason to keep these mandates going? Is there a reason to keep all these restrictions when COVID-19, I get the numbers are high, but it's not nearly as deadly as it was? Right. So, as, as a... If I took the doctor hat off for a second, I would love to see, I, I hate mandates. I hate it when someone tells me what to do. Um, I, I want to think I'm responsible enough to do what's right. right. Uh, I got vaccinated. I wear masks inside because I, I have two kids that are under the age of vaccine. I, I don't want to become a carrier of COVID and spread it around. Um, so in certain states, that's what they're doing. They're relying on the citizens on, on private citizens to do what's right and hopefully keeping numbers down. However, once you reach a certain threshold, you, that's when the mandates come in. And I think a lot of, um, a, a lot, and I can't speak for every state I practice in Connecticut at Yale, um, but businesses are doing what they feel comfortable and what they think their um, uh, their people want right. want to do. Yeah. So certain stores are requiring masks and certain stores are not requiring masks. 
Yeah, I think that uh, when you say they think they know what they're doing, I think that that's the whole key, is that none of us really know enough about this, and I think you'd agree, even in the field of medicine, we just don't know enough about it. What's your reaction, by the way, to the overnight news that there might be an even stronger Delta Plus variant coming from uh, the Near East? Right. So so the key to remember with this, with now coming into um, the second fall of, of this pandemic, is we know it's better to be proactive than reactive. Mm-hmm. Once once it's out of the bag, it's out of the bag, and there's no putting it back in. Cases are still relatively low compared to what they were before. Hospitalization rate is relatively low compared to what it was before. But going into the fall, things are going to significantly increase um, just because of, of what happened with, the, with COVID. And we want to be in the best position we can be when coming into into the peak season, especially with the Delta variant. And with vaccines, yes, there are breakthrough. We know it's not 100%, but the good news is the vaccine has proven to keep people out of the hospital. Yeah, no question about it. Look, I appreciate you being a good sport and addressing all this because I know that our focus is supposed to be the symposium on Sunday. Dr. Sharon Stahl is with us, but I do appreciate it. Sometimes it gets, you know, regular people who are not in the medical field sometimes get frustrated with all of this. So I thank you. Yeah, yeah. No, but but honestly, I mean, doctors are learning as as we go also. Right. So, yes, one minute we'll say one thing and the next minute recommendations will change based on research. That's what it should be. Yeah, I it should hear be that. based on research. It shouldn't be based on a guess. <laughs> no, I hear that. But, I... but right now, all we have is is um, anecdotal evidence to some extent. I mean, now we know much more than we did a year ago, but um, we're still trying to figure things out, especially with this Delta variant. How has our community been doing with vaccine hesitancy? We've actually been praised uh, here at at this network for spending a lot of time over the last few months talking about the vaccine and its importance. And frankly, I mean, it is difficult. I hope I'm right about this. It, it's hard to find, you know, medical people in our community who are not pro-vaccine. I hope I'm not overstating that because there might be, you know, you know, people in the medical field who feel otherwise. No, no, I don't think you're overstating that at all. I mean, I've been very, very impressed. I, I think most people are vaccinated. And and and, mo- and most medical personnel in our community are for the vaccine, right? I mean, you would you would say yeah. that? Yes, yes, absolutely. The event this coming Sunday is the second annual symposium for JOMA, the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. Okay, we mentioned Dr. Rochelle Walensky. She's been in the news a lot. Most people out there who follow the news know who she is. She is the keynote address speaker. She's the director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and uh, she'll speak as the uh, keynote speaker uh, just after 10 o'clock Eastern time this coming Sunday it is a virtual event. Everybody could log on. We'll give out the information in a moment. There'll also be sessions on vaccine hesitancy, mental health awareness and treatment during COVID-19. Could you give us an overview of that? Could you give, I mean, I, 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 I know there's plenty of anecdotal evidence. I don't know if there's any hard data, uh, but I would imagine that people of all ages, kids and adults, uh, have, have increased, um, uh, uh, their treatments or at least their desire for treatment for certain mental health situations that have been caused by COVID? Yeah, absolutely. So the symposium on Sunday, um, just to clarify, is for healthcare professionals. Right. CME uh, event means continuing medical education. So it's geared towards physicians, nurses, nurse practitioners, uh, physician assistants, um, people working in the healthcare field. Um so a lot of the lectures are to educate healthcare professionals to better care for our patients and also to update everybody on the latest breaking um, medical news with, with regard to COVID and vaccine and, and mental health. Um, um, the mental health is also specifically for those in the medical field. Um, we, as an organization, we provide a lot of public education um, and and actually, you bring up a fantastic topic that I'm going to bring to the board um, on mental health for kids yeah. during this pandemic, because I don't think that's a topic we've addressed for for children or for parents of young kids. And I would imagine, again, I don't uh, I don't know how the data reflects this because I don't know you know how things have been analyzed over the last year, um, but I, I'd have to assume 
that there's a, 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 a tremendous increase in categories of mental health uh, difficulties, um, both in our community and in general, uh, because of COVID. I mean, I can't imagine that it's, that it's otherwise. I'm just trying to, you know, I, I, I don't know if this is obvious to everybody, but as I'm saying all this, I'm trying to weigh the, you know, the, the benefits of lockdowns and masks as opposed to, yeah. as opposed to the mental health problems that it might be causing, frankly. No, absolutely. I, I mean, I was one of the first, um, after looking at the data that came out in Europe with children that showed in the beginning that kids were really not, um, spreading the virus the same way adults were. And when I say children, um, in medicine, we categorize prepubescent versus postpubescent. And um, uh, so that's what I mean by kids, not 17-year-olds, but more 6-year-olds or 10-year-olds. And um, uh, all of the masking as a neurologist, facial recognition, uh, facial expression, all of that... um, implements in the brain at a very early age. And I always wonder what this is going to do for those kids that really had that development where with facial recognition, smiling, laughing, being sad, they can't, they can't see that because kids are wearing masks. Um, And uh, I was a strong believer in getting kids back to school in person. um, And, and having like plexiglass or shields instead of masks. However, I was wrong um, because masks really do prevent the spread. And even though kids don't really become symptomatic or have a huge, the, the vaccine, the, not the vaccine, I'm sorry, the virus um, doesn't have as much of an impact on them as they do adults, but they definitely transmit it. Um, and now with the Delta variant, it, I, I mean, I hope it's in-person learning, but I now I'm a strong believer that when they come back to school, they should wear masks because they definitely spread Delta and even vaccinated people spread Delta. The good news is they don't seem to be that sick from it, um, but it doesn't mean someone that is immunocompromised or older or, um, uh, or unvaccinated, unvaccinated won't be significantly affected by the Delta variant. Wow. Unbelievable. I so much thought we were past all this. Uh, Joma has her second annual symposium, Shaping the Future of Medicine. It's open to all healthcare professionals, trainees, and students. Again, this coming Sunday, starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, the virtual event by Joma, the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, is open to anybody who's a healthcare professional, trainee, and or student. The virtual symposium will include the keynote from Dr. Rochelle Walensky of the CDC. There'll be sessions on vaccine hesitancy, mental health awareness, as we said, one called Transforming Medicine. There'll be breakout sessions as well. Uh, The entire program is four or five hours, and it is a continuing medical education CME program. If you're a healthcare professional, trainee, or student, look into this coming Sunday's virtual event by JOMA starting at 10 a.m. Eastern Time by going to uh, JOMA.org. Again, that's joma.org, J-O-W-M-A.org, or email them, info at joma.org. They're also available on all the social media platforms as well. Dr. Stoll, thank you for being a good sport, answering all my questions, and good luck this coming Sunday. Happy to. I appreciate that. Good luck this coming Sunday. I hope the symposium's a big success. Thank you so much. Again, anybody who's a healthcare professional, trainee, or student, get your CME credits and attend virtually this coming Sunday. It's a very, very interesting program, and I have nothing to do with medicine. And to me, it looks like it's interesting based on the uh, lineup here. Joma.org, the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association, that's been at the forefront for the last few months of vaccine education and helping uh, create and spread herd immunity in our community. God bless them. They are responsible for all this. Go to Joma.org, J-O-W-M-A.org. Org. Simple as that. Thursday morning broadcast. Plenty more coming up. Keep it here at JM in the AM. That was my conversation with Dr. Sharon Stoll. Thanks so much for tuning in. More coming up. If you keep it right here on NSN, the Malcolm Siegel Network.